Welcome to the Simply Cyber Podcast, a podcast singularly focused on helping you make and take a cybersecurity career further, faster. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Osier, and every week, Simply Cyber brings industry experts in for honest conversations around breaking into the field, leveling up your career, and how to develop practical skills. Enjoy the show, and be sure to check out Simply Cyber on YouTube for much more content. Now let's get into the show. your foothold in our industry if you haven't been paying attention, especially in the last five years, it's been getting out of control. And today we're going to really be focusing in on the last 18 months where it has changed dramatically from more of a land grab to a very tactical uh, decision-based approach. Okay. Now, I know, I know like so many other people who uh, I try to talk about cybersecurity insurance with, like you might be like, all right, I'm clicking off. Like this the insurance is a hard pass for me, Jerry. No, thanks. Okay. But let me, let me tell you two things that are critically important and why you're going to want to stay with us through this stream today. Okay. When it comes to cybersecurity insurance, two things are critically important. One, the business talks money. And as the information security office elevates within the organization, we need to be able to talk money. And cybersecurity insurance is one of those controls that the business understands and you also have to understand. Also, it's not just being a nerd and doing actuarial tables and using like a calculator, okay? We're talking threat intel, we're talking dark web, OSINT. There's a a range of skills and opportunities within the cybersecurity insurance space and I want you to know about them and we've got two experts today that are gonna be bringing the heat, okay? Now. Really quick, uh, I want you to grab a drink, grab a notebook. We're going to be covering a lot of material, and I want you to be able to record it and you know stay stay refreshed and hydrated so you can stay fresh with us. Okay, so welcome to Simply Cyber, the YouTube channel designed to help you make and take a cybersecurity career further, faster. And on this channel, sometimes we do tech deep dives, labs, and sometimes we're talking to experts like John and Ken today to really round you out as a cybersecurity professional. Okay, so we really appreciate it. If you're watching on replay, thank you very much. You're really gonna enjoy it. Drop some comments below. I do engage with them after the show. For those folks who are live with us, you got the best situation going because you can interact directly with John, Ken, and myself throughout the show. Drop comments. If you want them to be a question to ask of our guests today, drop a cue at the beginning of the question. It makes it easier for us to find the question and be able to get it to them for answering it right away. Now, if you do think you're watching this and you're like, this is going to be pretty good. I'm pretty excited about what's going on here. Take a minute. If you think someone else in your network is going to enjoy it too, grab that share link and send it over to them, right? This is how networking works, sharing good ideas with like-minded professionals. So go ahead and share that up. Now, let me briefly introduce our two experts before we get into it. John Rote is the CISO at Rapid Ascent, okay? John's been practicing information security since 1999, before we called it information security. I think it was like called ComSec at that point, okay? He worked at AOL in in an information security role. And if you don't know what AOL is because you're you're Gen Z or millennial, maybe, trust me, AOL was a big deal at one point, okay? And it was the biggest deal, actually. He's been on the blue side for decades. He's been on the show before talking about blue team defender stuff, SOC SOC analyst type stuff. He's a wealth of knowledge, and he's going to be bringing expertise when it comes to the cybersecurity insurance game. Our other expert, 
needs very little introduction because he's well-known friend of the show, Ken Underhill, who is also the vice president of curriculum development at Rapid Ascent. Uh, he's a cybersecurity executive. He's got healthcare experience, offensive security experience, GRC experience. The man is a walking like expert on anything cybersecurity, and I'm super pumped to bring him in here. So let's get them on stage in just a minute. All right, John and Ken, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing awesome. Thanks for having us, Jerry. Yes, Jerry. Thank you for having us again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for coming back. I, I hope your experience with, with the audience and chat and on the show was uh, was a, a positive experience where, you know, you guys came back and uh, wanted to be guests again. So I, I sincerely appreciate that on behalf of myself and on behalf of the audience. So thank you very much for that. So, so let, I mean, let's just dive right in because I've already tried to sell cybersecurity insurance as a hot, sexy topic. But, but John, I'll give you the floor. Like, you know, wade us into the waters of what is cybersecurity insurance because uh, we can't assume everybody knows, uh, you know, everything about it. So let, let's let's set a primer and, and get this get this uh, party started. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so basically, cyber insurance, and it isn't evolving right now. As, and we'll discuss a little bit of that, but cyber insurance is pretty much like your auto, your home insurance, right? Um, they're in their coverage to protect your company from risk. All right. So, you know, the cyber risk and recover from attacks because they're not cheap. They are, they are expensive. They're happening a lot. Um, and basically, it, it, it is kind of new. And the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, you know, they pointed out one of the problems cyber insurance companies are having with working through this, the, you know, the last five years is they didn't have data, right? Mm -hmm. So that's insurance companies use data to, to do their policies, their premiums, their rates. And they really haven't had the data. It's the last couple of years, like you said, the last five years have you really seen the taking off? And literally, there's been a 47%. No, I mean, companies in the US, five years ago, 26% of the companies had cyber insurance to protect themselves from risk. It's now up to 47% at the beginning of this year. It's probably over 50% now. Yeah. Um, but things are changing. Like, uh, you know, I was saying is, is it's, the cyber companies or insurance companies are just figuring out how to do the rates, how to look at it um, as they get more data, as things are occurring, right? Because our tax base, let's be serious, the number of tax in the last five years, I think they're saying was gone up like 336% this year from five years ago. Your right. premiums haven't gone up that, you know, thankfully, but that's always a possibility. And even the government's getting into it. Um, you know, there's cyber insurance stuff within the, um, the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. There's cyber insurance stuff in there. They're, they want to make sure that it can be available to all companies and across the United States. Um, so cyber insurance really is, is just protecting your company from risk, just like you protect your house from a risk or your auto. Um, but obviously cyber insurance is different. Um, so what does it, you know, what does it protect? Um, and it protects a lot, but not as much as you would think or hope. 
and that's changing as the attack space changes, right? So literally, it, it protects you from data breaches. So first-party coverage, and we can talk about that. Um, it, it protects you from recovering from a data breach, notifying your customers, providing credit monitoring. Um, you know, a lot. Most companies now use a rapid retainer where they'll bring in a Mandian or Verizon or another company. Well, it helps pay for that because that's not cheap. Um, and it also. Well, I, I, I've heard Mandian isn't uh, you know giving out coupon codes. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, they are good though. I will admit, and they yeah. are they're pretty good. Um, but you know, your legal costs and some other costs. Uh, yeah. And I've also heard that the cost of lost revenue while your business is down, sometimes the insurance will cover that as well. They will, um, and some, but you have to get approval, prior approval before you even try this, is paying the cyber extortion fees. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay more for your premium to have that coverage, but always make sure you, you get the approval from your insurance company before doing that. Um, or they may not, and it's probably written in the contracts nowadays. And... The other good one is third-party liability. A lot of people don't think about that, but if you get breached and you have, you know, a company's data and that data gets taken, you're going to get sued. Let's be mm -hmm. sure. So they're now adding, you know, privacy claims and some other stuff into third-party liability coverage too. Yeah. Additional costs, obviously. Um, that's why you always want to keep a good eye on your, you know, on your third parties, right? Yeah, exactly. Put that in your in your uh, in your terms and conditions. So, uh, John, I want to go back to something you just mentioned a moment ago that a lot of people may be wondering. You said they're only getting around to figuring it out now because they haven't had the data. Right. Why haven't they had the data? Um, well, ransomware, it's not something that's been going on for 10, 20, 30 years, right? Let's be serious. Your cars, what? 1920s or whatever. I don't know when they started doing insurance on cars, but homes, you know, probably even before then. So they were able to get a lot of data and determine, you know, obviously you're going to, for a car, you're going to charge more insurance for a Lamborghini than you are going to be for, you know, a Yugo because, well, that Lamborghini goes a lot faster and costs a lot more, right? And so they're trying to do the data analytics and go, okay, what is costing more? You know, how do I do these premiums based on industry? What the company does, right? If you have a really high tech company that an advanced attacker would love to have your stuff, what well, you're going to pay more than a company who really is not tech, you know, high tech. It's, it's just, you know, a bakery industry. Hmm. So that's the other things they're looking at now is they have to look at that. Yeah. Because what do the threat actors want? What do you have? And they have to now take that into consideration because a more high tech, bigger company, you're going to pay more. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's starting to look at a lot of different things now with the cyber insurance. Yeah, so, that, so that's really interesting. So, you know, there's been this pivotal shift in the industry between, you know, where now they have this data as you've, as you've called out and now they're able to make more informed decisions, almost be more um, prudent or selective about who they write policies for. So, 
you know, look kind of putting the lens on the cybersecurity insurance companies, instead of just thinking of them as just writing policies, like, here you go, here you go, here you go. They have to make informed decisions. So one of the questions I had kind of pre-canned here for you, John and Ken is, you know, how are the security companies like monitoring and analyzing an organization's security posture? Like how, how do they make the assessment that, you know, your company, John, gets a 2X premium, but mine gets a 4X premium for the same, you know, basic policy? Um, you know, and that's an excellent question because it doesn't, it makes a difference, right? Um, so a lot of what they look at one, they're obviously going to look at your security posture. That, that's the probably the most important piece, right? Both your internal and your external, and, and we can go more in depth than that in a minute, but that's, that's very important. How easy are you to break into? Uh, then they're going to be looking at, you know, your employees, because let's be serious. What's the number one factor in breaches? It's employees. It's always going to be. So how, how well do you train them? How well do they know? Even, you know, how well is your incident response team trained to contain the incident? Um, stuff like that. Uh, incident re response plans are getting to be very important. And I'll admit the NIST, they have pretty good guidelines on writing an incident re response plan. Um, I've always used that as one of my guidelines. Uh, your backup and recovery, right? Your resiliency, your authentication methods. Do you require multi-factor on your email, if it's, especially if it's externally accessible? Um, then look at that, how you prioritize risk, your, how you track your security metrics, any automation you're putting in place. Do you do risk assessment, pen testing, red teaming, things to find your risks? So that's a lot of what they're doing when they're, they're surveys, like you were talking about the surveys, a lot more is going to start focusing on that. But they also are using other companies. And I think that's another question you had coming down. But really, the other thing is the industry you're in. You know, if you're in a high tech industry versus you're in, a, you know, the cooking industry, and I hate to use that, but yeah, there's probably some new inventions within cooking I'd love to have. But not like, you know, in the medical field. This, those are really, you know, serious in, you know, changes. Um, yeah, and, and John, just one, one thing I want to add real quick is, in addition to just industries, anytime there's a major breach, like how solar winds happened, yep. a lot of actually organizations we work with on training, they've seen rates just explode, you know, 5, 6, 10x sometimes on their premiums. And it's not because they're doing anything necessarily wrong, right? They may have a, a good, you know, external scoring, as John mentioned, or even internal scoring. They might be following best practices, but simply because there's this breach in the news where it's a supply chain type breach, affects a lot of organizations, that increases risk for everybody. And so the, that also might affect some of your premiums, also your insurability, depending on, to John's point of high tech versus grandma's bakery or whatever it may affect your insurability as well. You may not get insurance all of a sudden, your premiums, your, your policy's canceled. And you're like, well, we didn't do anything, right? We didn't do anything early. What's going on here? And, and, and that, that does happen though, right? And we just all have to be mindful of that where the, the better we can, you know, John mentioned security posture, right? The better we can go back to those insurance companies, the brokers and say, look, why are you punishing us, right? We're doing everything right. This is what we're doing. And because of this, let's just say solar winds, because of the solar winds attack, we're implementing these new things, right? These are the additional changes we're doing because of that. And this is what we're planning for, you know, next six months, 12 months, you know, whatever down the line. You have to be able to go back and show that. You don't want to be in a position where you're like, oh, 
please, please give us a premium. Please help us and get, a, get us insured. You want to be able to, to John's point there, to really show your security posture. And we, we're finding that there's a mixture of things going on right now. When, when a breach does happen, something major like that, especially around supply chain, a lot of companies take a hit either on premium or they lose insurance. And if you look at some larger companies, especially in the financial space, some other, another thing to consider, if you're thinking that this stuff is boring and who cares about cyber insurance, well, guess what? A lot of companies now are saying, look, if you don't have cyber insurance, we're not paying you on your contracts. Yep. Now take that away and see, can you run a business without getting paid? No, you can't, right? <laughs> I'll answer that for you. You cannot. So this is a big deal, right? This is something you need to be mindful of. And uh, so that's all I'm going to say. I just want to chime in on that. Real quick. <laughs> oh, and, and that's a good point, Ken, because that was the next place I was going to, they also look at products and services, right? Like he says, if you're a supply chain, like solar winds or Kaseya is another good one, um, or they have to look at that. And another big one is IT service companies. You know, for a hacker, it's a lot easier to go break into an IT service company and attack a hundred companies than it is to attack a hundred companies, right? Um, so it really, that service makes a big difference on what you're doing. Um, and then they're going to look at your previous breaches, your compromises that you've had in the past. Um, have you learned from them? Yeah. So it, one of the interesting questions, because the way I set this up was, you know, how do they analyze? So that's like, are we going to write you a policy or not? But is it a point in time situation where they write you a policy and there you go, and you're good for a year, whether or not you uh, your threat landscape changes, which we all know does, or whether your uh, you know like you have EDR, but your contract ends a month after your policy was written, so now you don't have EDR. So, is there any monitoring going on by the insurance companies, or how is that going on? Um, and there is, uh, and that's an excellent question because there is monitoring going on, and uh, there's an, a startup that you know. That's what they're flashing. We do continuous monitoring. Cowbell continuously monitors their clients, right? Um, but all the insurance are using it. They are using security rating companies. And if you don't know what security rating companies are, you know, they monitor your environment. And we can talk about that about more, but insurance rating, you know, security rating companies, threat intel companies. Hey, if I can get in, you know, a contract with the Intel company and look at, you know, company A and also, oh, look at that employee from company A. He's been compromised. His cookies and passwords are stolen for all these sites. Ouch. Right. Um, and there's other things that they do do. Uh, and there's out there, there's sinkholes. There's data collectors, um, Microsoft, Shadow Server. If you've noticed, when Microsoft takes down command controls, they take they take over it. So all of a sudden, if you have an infected machine in your environment, because a lot of people are like, how do they know my environment? How do they know one of my machines infected? Well, they take over the C2, your machine pings to it, they see who it's coming from. Um, Team Cummery is another one who has data from all over the world that most, from everyone I've seen, most of the security ratings use their data because if the machine's infected or the machine's going to bad places, they have a tendency to see it. Um, yeah. Well, and can I can I change or can I dig in a little bit there because this is a concept, and I, I fancy myself uh, someone who really enjoys cybersecurity insurance. I'm definitely in the the minority of that. But uh, you just mentioned security ratings companies, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
what, what, you know, what, what is a security ratings company? Why does it matter? What, what are they doing and how do they fit into this ecosystem that we're discussing? Yeah, and that's, you know, they're kind of like an Experion or, you know, a credit rating company. Mm-hmm. They do ratings of companies. Um, and there's quite a few of them out there, security scorecard, BitSight, Risk Recon, UpGuard. I, I mean, that is a, a lot of startups are starting to do that. And even other companies that have been in the business for a while, they have the data. Why not start doing it, right? Um, and basically, they, they monitor your network security, your DNS health, patching cadence. Well, how do they see the patching cadence? Well, if you have a vulnerability that's external and they're scan, scanning you and it takes you two months to update it, they see it. So, you know, they're able to see that. But also, in, when machines connect to the Internet, a lot of that information goes hitting sinkholes, hitting other stuff, they can collect that information. IP reputation, security best practices. A good one, we talked about Threat Intel, right? Well, a lot of your security rating companies have contracts with Threat Intel companies. Why? Hacker chatter. If all of a sudden there's a chatter in a hacker forum that, oh, someone's selling network access to company A and you're insuring them? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that, right? yeah um, information leaks, uh, data breaches, you know, um, through attacks or insider threats or even accidental state regulators. They actually monitor all the state regulator sites because most of them have to report when a company has lost data, whether it's an accident or it's an attack, right? Mm-hmm. And that, they're not just the state regulate, regulators, uh, HIPAA. They also report, and you can see who has lost HIPAA data. So they monitor that. And if you have accidentally lost data, your score is going to go down. Yeah. And that one's a harder to come back from. Um, so well, and- I mean, it, sound, it sounds like, you know, I, I feel like in our industry, when we're talking about impact, right? Like whenever we're trying to qualify that impact during a risk score, um, d- reputational damage or reputation damage is kind of like that one category that we talk about. And I feel like a lot of people are flippant about it. Like, oh, you know, like, look, you know, look at Target. They have a major breach and their stock price comes right back three months later. So what is reputational harm actually? Like hospital has a breach. I'm still going to go get my surgery there. What's the actual reputational harm? It sounds like what you're saying is there is legitimate reputational harm impact that can result from, you know, getting a bad score essentially from these rating companies. Uh, a lot of your, your more mature companies now are actually using their rating scores mm-hmm. as ROIs, return on investment. You go into say you're, you're competing for this customer with three other companies and you actually monitor and you can, these other three companies' scores, you're in the mid-90s, during the low 80s, 70s, you throw it down. Mm-hmm. You're going to win that contract. Unless you're really hurting somewhere else, you will win that contract. So these security ratings are becoming return on investments. And yeah. you can quickly earn your money back if you are, you know, you're a company who really relies on getting customers. But there's other things you can do with it, right? Oh. I'm going to purchase a company. Let me check their score. What am I buying? 
before I hook them up to my network, I have to make sure that I'm not going to get compromised. So there's a lot of advantages to using their security rating companies. Um, yeah. The other one is to monitor your third parties. And that's probably your biggest advantage. Yeah. And, and I could see you, you know, you mentioned about uh, acquiring a company. I could see them using that as a negotiating tool for, for, you know, price reduction, right? Like, oh, you're, you're, you got, you've got warts all over you. I'm not giving you full price, man. Get out of here with that noise. Yeah, um, you're going to cost me money if I buy yeah. it just to fix your security. So, so John, I, I don't want to uh, uh, pivot too far away from, from the conversation, but, you know, you mentioned these security rating companies that are like growing out of like the woodwork, right? You said that there's a bunch of them. You, you, you listed a few. So for, so for some people in the audience and for myself, I mean, is this like a burgeoning industry for practitioners? Like, are they hiring security professionals? Or, like, are they hiring pen testers? Like what? What is the work, or or maybe it's not even cybersecurity work, and it's just a company that provides a cybersecurity score? Um, at first, it was pretty much just they would go get data from other places. Um, but now that the competition is really starting to get pretty tough out there, and I know a couple other companies are about ready to get in the mix, and I, I like those other companies. Um, they're pretty good, so they are starting to hire folks. The rating companies are starting to hire folks to really dig in because it's, it's, you just don't need to know that, Oh, you know, it has this vulnerability. What's the potential impact of the company, mm -hmm. right? Um, like the host headers that kills a bunch of companies. Okay. That's bad, but I'm more concerned about this SQL injection vulnerability over here than I am that. Right. So they need to have cyber folks to also do that determine the impact, the risks that are associated with what they're finding on these company security postures. So you have to have that as a minimum, but a lot of companies are starting to do their own work also. Um, yeah. And I'd mentioned Cowbow earlier. Yes, they they do their own um, scanning and, and checking security postures and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I do, they are starting to hire more and more as the competition gets, you know, for the out there gets more. Yeah. So, I mean, something for people to, to, to put in the back of their head or jot down in their journal, if they're, if they're taking notes right now that, you know, this is an area that's going to be growing in uh, employment opportunities. And I just want to bring a, a quick comment in from Jermaine. You know, he, he brings up a great point that, you know, these, these scores that we're talking about, small businesses probably won't really have a score. Large enterprises like Walmart, I mean, what do they care? Like, <laughs> like Amazon, like they've got us, they've got us. It's really this mid-tier that's probably going to feel the heat from getting a bad score. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really feel that that's a good, a good observation by Jermaine. No, it, it is. And, and, you know, larger companies think of it this way, right? Larger companies, your Walmarts, your targets. I mean, they've been branding Coca-Cola. It's been branding for years and years and years. It would take a huge amount of something to really make a dent in that. Right. Even with a large fine, they can absorb that cost usually. So I fully agree with that, Jermaine small to mid-size, that's where you're going to see the biggest impact, especially in healthcare. If you're a small hospital, you may get hit really, really bad with something. And uh, usually reputation damage with healthcare, it's usually the two to five year range. So you don't see it initially, but then once all the lawsuits and all that fun stuff starts coming, then you start seeing the, the loss of trust. And if there's another hospital available, people start going to that one instead. And it can, you know, one hospital may end up buying another. If it's a small town, you're kind of limited on your choices, like either go here or you die. So you you don't really have a choice there. So it, it does happen, right? It does happen. 
but it doesn't mean that these large companies are invincible, right? It doesn't mean that their premiums wouldn't go up exponentially because of something like this. So yeah, reputation wise, maybe they survive, but maybe their premium goes up a 10 X because of something going on. I want to back up real quick on something John mentioned on the scoring. So a lot of these are external scoring, right? Many of them do external scoring where they're just assessing different vulnerabilities. The key with that is they may find something that you've already fixed. And we've seen that with, with some of our, some of our training, they may find something you get dinged for it. And that's where it's important again, to what we talked about earlier, your security posture, being able to communicate that and say, look, we already knew about this a month ago. We fixed it. We pulled that server offline or whatever. That's already fixed. Here you go. We're good to go. And then you can get a lot faster turnaround usually on either reducing premium or getting insurance again or, or whatever the, the thing is. But just wanted to surface that as well is that it's so important and critical to focus on that security posturing and being able to communicate that effectively to these insurance companies and brokers. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great point. And, you know, the other thing companies need to look at at first, because, you know, at first, you know, a lot of companies are defensive on these security ratings. Because at first, when they came out, they were more of coming at you, making it look like you had to use them or you're going to, you know, they're not doing that anymore. And use them because they help you understand your digital footprint. Oh, this IP over here says it belongs to company A. Company A hasn't used it in three or four years. They just never cleaned up, got the DNS records cleaned up. So it actually will help you clean up your digital footprint too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's, um, it is funny how important, uh, you know, to, to both of your points, um, it's, it's important to have a continuous, continuous monitoring and, and like a, a, a cybersecurity program, right? Versus, uh, kind of the old style of thinking where it might be uh, a partial responsibility of someone in IT and maybe you you just do the minimum at the point in time that they need it, you know, some questionnaire responded to and then you go back and, and there's no real program uh, versus what Ken was mentioning where when something comes in, if you're like living, breathing the program, you can be like, that. no, 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 we've taken care of that or we have compensating controls that you're not even accounting for. Like that's not a true uh, finding, if you, if you will. So I definitely think uh, those are all really good points. Well, and I want to point on that that continuous monitoring you said there, Jerry. I really do believe um, that cyber insurance companies are going to make their premiums and their coverage be continuously changeable because they have to. Mm -hmm. If you know, all of a sudden they see that this company's rating scores are going down like this, they have to have the ability to either raise their premiums, you know, what are you guys doing? Or, you know, or drop them if they have to. So I do think you'll see their, how they're doing the premiums changes because the computer technology, it's not like your houses haven't, you know, they've changed over the last couple hundred years, but not like technology has. There's something new coming out every day. So I think it's really hard for these cyber insurance companies. Yeah. So, you know, kind of following the, the path that we've been talking about uh, with the company and then the security rating company helping the insurance company and, and helping people understand the, the security posture of an organization, we talked briefly about threat intelligence. So 
how does threat intelligence get involved here? I mean, we've, we've talked about threat intelligence in other areas of our industry, but I've never really heard it mentioned in a cybersecurity insurance capability. So how does this get folded in? Oh, I have to admit, Jerry, I didn't think about it either until I was looking at one company and the threat intel platform I use, and it's like, oh. So I asked the company, are, you know, cyber insurance companies using you? They couldn't tell me who, but yeah, oh yeah, and it's understandable because, you know, one of the things, accounts, right? I, you can just see in Threat Intel platforms, all the accounts are getting compromised and it'll, you can download a zip file from this hacker forum that'll have the cookies and passwords for all of these sites. And you go down there and you see, oh, look at that. Company A's domains in there 20, 30 different times or something. With pat, that's saying the passwords are compromised. Oh boy, right? Um, especially if you have an external SharePoint site that doesn't have MFA or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you you have that. Your financial companies, you know, they monitor the carding forms, you know, the credit card forms and stuff like that. They monitor the hacker chatter. I don't know. You know, I was looking the other day. I think like in one day, there's a ten different companies network access was being sold on hacker forms. Yeah, I'm going to change the card because I mean, you're, you're reading right into it. I, I wanted to get right into the dark web. I mean, it's a it's the sexy, unspoken, you know, mysterious piece of our industry that people whisper about. But, you know, but you're talking about it right now in, in, in the context of insurance companies. So, yeah, if you could d drill into that a little bit, John. Um, you know, I could go back to my earlier days of this one place called Digital Gangster that I would sit and pull that hacker form constantly because one of the favorite things they attack was AOL, all right? Well, that's what these threat intel companies do. They just sit because most hacker forms, you can just pull the data. You know, they're dot .onion sites and you just sit there, pull the data, throw it into the database and then they look for my keywords that I have for my mm -hmm. company or my third parties, even my CEO's, you know, name and stuff like that. And, they do. They collect a lot of information like that. So compromised accounts, accesses, and trust me, I've been saved in the past by my Threat Intel company. You want to see what they're talking about. Um, you know, I've had happen in the past where someone's getting ready to sell company A's act data. Oh, nice. He never got a chance. Right. So it gets you that you get ahead of the attacks. You know, that's one piece. The other pieces are is um, they collect, you know, they, on malware, you can pull all the IOCs and all, you know, most threat intel companies, not all now, have the, all the malware stuff and the vulnerabilities and attacks all hooking up with the MITRE attack framework. Mm -hmm. So if you pull that data down into your SIMs and your data repositories, and if your other tools use them, bingo, there's a lot of very valuable data there. Uh, a lot of them, Mandiant's excellent at you know, threat profiles. Yeah. If you have an attack going on and you think it's, you know, APT5, um, go into MITRE attack or into your threat intel code. What, what do they do? All right. I've seen them do this. What else do they do in my network? And that lets you see what else they're doing. So, you know, I guess I've, I've moved away a little bit from the cyber insurance, but you can see how a cyber insurance folks who's monitoring that, hey, you know, company A is my company that I have cyber insurance. I'm just going to, and really, you just set up alerts. 
and you get emails when they hit. You don't even have to go into the platform and look all day long. Yeah. So it's very, very valuable. Like for the last two minutes, John, as you've been responding, uh, I, I can't, like, I'm imagining you, because you said I used to, you know, troll in digital gangster, and I'm just picturing you wearing, like, a black hoodie, like, smoky room, trap music playing in the background, and just, like, you know, like, just just, just doing it, doing it. I love well, it. Gary, you pictured that correctly. That's exactly how it went down, man. <laughs> yep. And it's just like a scene from The Matrix, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, before Neo uh, converted there, so... I, I love it, but 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 to keep us on track and not and not go too far away. Um, so you know, it sounds like you're saying insurance companies are using all of this great information in order to inform themselves, which I think is fantastic, and it's really a no-brainer, right? Because there's a lot of money on the line. So Intel uh, awareness; these are all the things that make you make better informed decisions, right? So why wouldn't they go after it? But I, you know. I'm a cybersecurity professional, but I wouldn't encourage, I wouldn't encourage just anyone to throw on a Tor browser and go trolling on whatever the 2021 version of Digital Gangster is at this point to help their organization out, right? Like tread lightly if you go in there. So, so I, I kind of want to flip it. Like for people who are in the audience that maybe want to go talk to their CEO or want to help their organization save on that money. By the way, this is a great way to. Uh, demonstrate value, like information security doesn't get a chance to demonstrate value all that often to the business, except like stopping events that they never get to hear about. Like if you can save two X on the, on the cybersecurity insurance premium, the CEO is going to know your name, first name, right? You'll be on that level. So what kind of things can companies or people who work for companies do to help reduce those premiums that are just going out of control? John, please. Yeah, excellent question. Um, and, you know, it, it it's going to depend on the maturity of the company, the size of the company, right? But you need to know your digital footprint. You need to know your internal, external attack surface. Improve your ability to respond and recover. Know your security ratings. Um, your CISO is going to want to see those. If not hire CEO, he's going to want to track what your security ratings are once you start doing it. Um, know your exposures. We talked about threat intel. Know your risks. How do you prioritize them? Know your threats. You, have you done a threat model? Do you know why would APT5 really want to attack you? Mm -hmm. Do you know what in your what information in your company they want? That, that to me that that is a serious important. Um, but from a cyber insurance point, the last piece is know how to submit your information to the insurance company. You have to be very careful how you submit and how you respond. Um, only provide them what they're asking for unless you're 100% certain it's going to really help you. Yeah. The more you provide, the more questions they're going to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Just like, a, like an auditor or investigator. You don't want to give them too much, just the bare minimum. The other thing I'll say on that, just as part of the, the submission, you have to understand that typically like, like the individuals you're dealing with at the insurance company or the broker or whatever, most of them are not going to be cyber. Let's just be realistic right here, right? They're not going to be typically cyber. And when you're speaking to certain individuals, just like anything else, uh, even like with children, lots of like pretty pictures and things like that work very well. 
So graphics, you know, things that are easy for them to digest. Do not pull up some 900 page spreadsheet and like, oh, look at all the, that's not going to work. That's, they're going to be like, ah, no insurance for you. Just show them a couple of pretty things and say, this is this and explain it well. And then they may still come back with their cyber experts and say, hey, we want to take a deeper dive. And that's fine. Cool. But when you're starting out, understand that most people you're going to be speaking with or communicating with, it's blinky lights. Put the blinky lights on, get them excited about that. And a lot of times that will do it. That will do it. They'll be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Great job, Jerry. That makes perfect sense. Let's lower your rate right now. Sometimes they will, they will want to do a little more you know, deep dive, but typically blinky lights are, this is a good time of blinky lights, not with all the vendors out there. This is a yeah. good time. I was just about to say, this is why, um, you know, Knox and Sox have huge display walls, right? No, no analyst is looking at the big display wall to do their job. The donut charts don't tell me like where the attacker came in, right? That is all just right. eye candy for leadership to walk, walk someone by and show them how beautiful the security is. So, and you know, the other thing to point out on this, Jerry, is, is you can bring companies in to help you do this. Mm-hmm. But what happens two months down the road? So to me, you know, we do train and teach folks how to do all this mm-hmm. and how to monitor their environment. So, you know, that workforce, that company, a month down the road, when all of a sudden there's this new vulnerability, a vulnerability, they know what to do, right? They know how to monitor it and see when it comes out and what to do. That is where, the you know, you may get your insurance to reduce at first because, oh, I've jumped my ratings. But if you keep your ratings up there, it'll come down even further. So, uh, you know, to me, yeah, companies are great, but your workforce really needs to know how to do this. So it's a continuous process. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great segue, John, to the next question I was actually going to ask you, really focusing on what those skills are that, that people who run these companies, whether it's insurance or security rating, threat intel, an organization trying to help themselves. What what are the skills? What are the career paths for folks wanting to work in these spaces? And how do they get it? Um, well, that's a good question. There, There's a lot of different career paths in cyber, right? So we already talked about the career paths for security rating companies as it continues to grow. Your threat intel companies, trust me, they are some seriously cyber knowledge folks. That is an excellent career path to get into this. They, they really do know their stuff. Now, if you want to, you know, do the security rating stuff, do the threat intel and other things like that, pen testing, red teaming, um, even the, you know, the less glamorous stuff, right? Doing the auditing, doing the threat assessments, risk assessments, that may not be as glamorous but for some folks, but that is a very important skill to have. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and it's yeah. definitely the path to CISO, I would argue, too, like understanding how, like how to assess the, the security posture, right? If you're going to build a program, you need to be able to understand the health of that program, where the gaps are in that program. Um, you know, kind of bring it all full circle. Simply Cyber is like secretly becoming like the GRC champion of the cybersecurity space, <laughs> uh, for better or worse. So you, you're you're lining it up perfectly, John. <laughs> yeah, and, and just one other thing I'll add there is is for those that are more entry level watching this right now and and saying, well, I mean, threat intel that's going to take a lot, John. I, oh my goodness, 
GRC, right? GRC is a good route in auditing is a good route in to, you know, these companies, they need to, they need people that can assess risk, right? So if you can go in and you can effectively assess risk, you can work with these insurance and brokers and, and get your start in the industry. And it's a great way to start to understand the risks from there. Then you can build the technical skills. I mean, people often try to do like, I guess so many, I want to be a pen tester. That's great. But like, that's a journey. That's going to take a lot of hard work. Whereas you could focus on maybe a GRC role, get your feet wet, see how things kind of operate at the enterprise level and then move in and, and then make a decision which route you want to go as far as a long-term career outside of that or stay in GRC, you know, be a GRC lover like Jerry is. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah, go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say it's, I do agree with Ken on that, but from a Thread Intel perspective, a lot of people think Thread Intel is just so technical. There is a lot of non-technical areas within Thread Intel. Um, the best Thread Intel person I ever had had never done it when I hired her. She was unbelievable. Um, so there, understand there is non-technical to get in the door in some areas. Yeah, you know, you can't, it's really hard to start off as a thread hunter, right? You really need to be technical. But a thread intel, that's a, actually a decent way to get into the business. You start learning the thread actors, the MITRE attack framework. You'd be surprised how nice a thread intel entry level is pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And MITRE attack is uh, absolutely uh, a, a gift to the community and something that all practitioners should really be familiar with because of just the real value it provides and kind of helping you shape uh, what your your program should look like. So mm -hmm. let me, let me uh, we're going to turn it around a little bit here and do some audience questions. We've got a couple that came in, but while we're doing it, I want to do our raffle compliments of... Uh, Josh Mason, Josh Mason and his group over at Cyber Supply Drop. So guys, the to enter the uh, raffle, this is going to be for a well, VIP membership to Blue Team Labs Online. So, you know, maybe you're not ready to go threat hunting yet, but if you want to get some of those Blue Team skills, uh, Blue Team Labs Online is fantastic. I actually was in there yesterday doing some, um, some labs for myself in order to just make sure that my knives stay sharp um, just because I'm like a, you know, kind of nerdy CISO guy now doesn't mean I don't need to get my hands dirty and stay a, a cognizant. So this is a great platform. Drop hashtag rapid ascent in chat to enter. Uh, thank you to Cyber Supply Drop. Uh, I want to give this uh, a gift away to somebody. So please jump in there right now. We've also got this new uh, format right here. So that's pretty cool. I like that. Just checking that out. So let's take a question from the audience while you guys are dropping hashtag rapid ascent into the chat. Okay, here we go. Gonna gonna fire from the hip, John. Oh wait, hold on. Whenever I do the the raffle, it, like it starts jamming up all the chat, and I'm trying to like click on stuff. So, I guess question uh, to John, and then Ken, if you want to follow up. As a CISO or leader of a security organization, how responsible are you for making sure that insurance covers all of your organizational risks? What are you responsible for? Um. Well, obviously, from a CISO standpoint, it does fall under me, right? Um, it, it, and that's going to be most companies, if not all. It, the, the, the cyber insurance is going to fall underneath the CISA. Um, and it, it covers everything. It, it really does. It's going to cover um, you know, first, first party, third party. Um, it's going to cover data breach. It's going to cover the network. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it is the responsibility of the CISA to ensure 
that your risks are covered, both from you know, an incident response management perspective, but also from a financial perspective. And that's where that cybersecurity comes in, insurance comes in. Yeah, and well, I mean, so let me ask you just to kind of go down that path a little bit more. So is the CISO operating in a bubble directly with the insurance company? Is it a board level discussion? Like, what is it, you know, like, because if I'm a CISO and I'm going to go get a EDR solution, I don't talk to anyone about it, right? Like, I know what my organization needs and what the budget is and all that stuff. With, with something like cyber insurance, what is what is kind of the workflow look like or, the, or like who's involved in it? Even because you just said you're responsible for it. Right. So is the buck stop with you or what's that look like? Um, no, it's, it's not going to be locked. You're right. Um, the CISO has a chief of staff and others underneath him, and they're going to work directly with your cyber legal person and your legal company and, you know, and your insurance folks. Um, so it, it, it's the CISO is the one who's going to be signing off it on at the end, mm -hmm. but he is going to be working with, you know, his team is going to be working with legal heavily. Because in the end, it really is a legal document. You really need to make sure the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Um, and, and, you know, it depends on the company size. Obviously, if you're a 1,000-person company, you're not going to have a cyber insurance person in your company. But if you're, if, you know, if you're a Walmart, I'll guarantee it, they probably have a team of folks who manages their cyber insurance, right? Um, because there's just so many different coverages and stuff out there so mm -hmm. they have to know the legal aspect of your company they have to know the business aspect right um and you know especially for a global company that that even makes it harder they have to know the business and then they need to know your your cyber your full not just cyber but you know the companies i've been there they call it it and risk that's your grc that's your third-party risk management it's it's other teams application security they have to know that whole thing yeah. So it, it's going to involve quite a few teams, um, but most of the time from what I've seen, it, it is run out of either chief of staff or something of the CISA working with the other teams. Does that make sense? It. Yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, I mean, I, you know, again, I think it really, I'm, I'm a firm position. There's a lot of, there's a couple of things for me personally that are philosophical principles that I bring to cybersecurity. And for example, one that I will die on is that, the CISO is an advisor to the CEO, right? So that's like, that's what your job is. Like, yes, you have accountability of the cybersecurity program, but at the end of the day, you're responsible for advising and being able to understand, comprehend what that policy is, what does it actually mean, what the coverage actually is. That's your responsibility to be able to digest and then translate to the business because that, that's really what you're doing. You're, you're a business conduit. Um, so I agree 100% that it's a team effort, but at the end of the day, it, it also falls on the CISO to be able to, actually comprehend and communicate what, what it is that it's actually, what well, it's actually. Let's be serious. In, in today's world, you know, the CIS was one of the first people that are let go, you know, made to take the responsibility of a big data breach. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. they need to know that. Yeah. But, you know, I would, I would argue, it's kind of funny you bring that up because yes, they are the first uh, head to fall, if you will. But do you, like, I feel like it's, it's kind of funny because it's, what an appealing resume bullet to say that you were CISO during the Anthem breach. I ran through, I experienced and ran a program through an incredible breach. Like that's like a, 
that's like a resume bullet that it's like, ooh, this person, this professional has already gone through the nightmare. Like, let's bring them on. It like, which is kind of counter to what you would think, but it's it's a reality uh, in our industry. It, it is. I mean, yeah. So, all right, let let us uh, let us run the raffle, and then we'll do a couple more questions with uh, John Rode and Ken Underhill. All right, let me do this, and we are going to bring this onto screen. All right, so I know we got some entries in here. This is excellent. We're going to do this. I, I don't know if you guys have been here since I brought in some sound effects uh, to, to really class up this, this, uh, this, this raffle, but good luck to everybody. Uh, here we go. Yes, drum roll. And winner of the Blue Team Labs Online VIP membership. Bill Diargis. All right. Good job, Bill. Thank you very much uh, for participating, everybody. Bill, just connect with me on Discord or LinkedIn after the session, and I'll make sure to get you the, uh, the right stuff so you can take advantage of that awesome prize. All right. So you guys aren't off the hook yet. Jermaine uh, brings a question. Um, he wants to know, and this is a good one, in my opinion, do insurance companies have you know, I guess pen test teams are the audit auditors doing pen testing as well. Like what's their level of audit? Um, they're going to have audit teams because uh, they're the ones that are going to do the surveys and ask the questions of the companies. Um, your audit team's not going to do the pen testing, but you, we are starting to see cyber insurance bring in their own pen testers. Um, you know, say you pull data from showdin.io and you see stuff, you, you, if you don't have, reports from a, a, another company, you have to do your own scanning, right? So um, that, and a lot of companies will do that. They'll pull from showdin.io. Oh, look at that. They're using this vulnerable version of this. Let me see if it is, All right? Because the, the last thing you want to do is be called on the carpet to go, we're not vulnerable to that. Why are you showing we are? Well, your pen tester goes up. Oh, well, here, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, they are starting. And once again, it's the competition, right? The more you have to stay current, you have to stay ahead of your competition. So yes, they are starting to hire pen testers. Oh, that's great. I, it's great because I've, I've, I've often felt that like pen testing, I always say like, oh, there's a ton more GRC and sock jobs, blue jobs than red jobs because red is kind of a niche skill and most organizations don't have it themselves. There's usually pen testing companies that will you know, hire out their services. And it's just, it's, it's great to hear that that skill is expanding into, you know, areas like insurance companies where they'll have on staff um, pen testers and, and that type of, that type of work. I, I, I really like that. Um, one, one thing I wanted to go back, I took a note here, John, because uh, selfishly and, and personally, I want to take action on this uh, tomorrow uh, for my day job. Uh, you mentioned, like I, I said, what can companies do to help themselves? You listed out a, a list of great, great ideas and suggestions. But one you said was, go get your own security rating. Go figure out what your security rating is for your company. How do I do that? Well, and this, you know, the companies use it to entice you in. But if you do go to security scorecard, um, mm -hmm. you can create a free account and you can see your company's security rating. Interesting. Can I go to Security Scorecard and say I work for IBM or like like a like a victim organization at Target, like for OSINT work? We we um, cannot condone that, Jerry. But okay. uh, 
you can you can do do as you wish. The one thing I, I, with, the, yeah. with the with the free accounts, one thing to keep in mind is like any free account, you're limited on a lot of things that you can see. But it does give you a quick, hey, here's kind of how we are, rough draft, so to speak. And and from there, then you can decide if it makes sense with these different you know places that do it. So security scorecards one. There's many of them out there, like John said, but yeah, uh, you can, from there you can decide if it's fiscally thing. responsible yeah. To, yeah. to invest in it. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I'd also argue too that like no individual is going to go after this service, right? It's a business service. And, you know, if you're going to be merging, acquiring, working with another company, like I don't know what the price model is, but I'm sure it's, it's reasonable for what, you know, for an organization to get that kind of intel, right? It's, I, would, I would assume. It's not, I won't call it reasonable. It's not okay. cheap. Um, you're going to be looking at six figures probably. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, if you're a big company, and, and it's obviously what you're looking at, they have different levels, right? So mm -hmm. a big company who has like 100 different or 200 third parties that they're going to monitor the third parties also, it's going to be worth it. But if you're a smaller company, you're going to obviously take on less, right? Um, so you just have to look. Because you can go in there and actually get the security rating of five five other companies. You only get to see the rating, though. You don't get to see why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With your company, you will get to see why you have that rating. Oh, that's that's that is valuable and really good to know. Kind of give you a uh, third party, uh, independent kind of opinion on how how you're being perceived and what mm -hmm. your you know external uh, risk posture looks like. But think about it if. I'm a threat actor, hmm. pay $100,000 to buy an enterprise level one where I can see hundreds of company secure, security ratings and I can drop one and add another one. It would be nice to know what companies have the real lower security ratings because I may just want to target them. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. I can see someone doing that. Well, that's why that's why you got to layer your security defenses, right? You got to have that dark web threat intel and and all these other things. But but I'm not even an offensive security person. That's Ken, and and like my mind went straight to like, okay, like let let's leverage this service. So well, one of the things I've always tried to teach my employee, you know, employees and now there are students is, is I like to try to get myself in a hacker's mindset. Mm -hmm. What would I do if I get into a company? Where am I going next? If you can start thinking like that, don't become one. <laughs> but right. to have a hacker's mindset and to think, you know, outside the box like that, it, it puts you ahead of everyone else. I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we're kind of uh, ramping on time. So let me give you guys an opportunity to kind of uh, final thoughts, final words. Uh, Ken, we can, we'll start with you. If you've got some final thoughts for the audience around this topic and, and really appreciate you being with us today, Ken, the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So just, you know, what, what we've been talking about through much of this stream, right? Focus on your security posture, focus on how you can communicate that and just understand that it's always going to evolve. There's always going to be something found externally or even internally by these uh, different brokers and, and insurance companies. And if you can communicate that effectively, you'll be ahead of the game. You'll be ahead of other companies. Yeah. Uh, great, great. Uh, Great point. I mean, it's so true. It's it's like an axiomatic fact. Uh, John, final thoughts for for the audience today? Yeah, my final thoughts are you know it's it the other reason, especially 
Jerry, when you say the last 18 months, what's occurred in the last 18 months? And Gallagher, one of the top insurance brokers are like, you know, exploiting the remote worker, the workforce, that has been the leading cause of the big increase in ransomware, right? So the remote workforce, it's not going away. So that, that is definitely impacting cyber insurance also. And they're really predicting most company cyber insurance by the end of the year will have gone up 20 to 50%. And that's most companies. Um, so it, it is getting important and it's getting costly. You know, the medium-sized companies are the ones that are getting hit the worst for the price. But they're, they're also ones, you know, how can you pay a, a big premium if it puts you at a loss, you don't want to have loss. You always want to be in the green, right? So that's one of the problems that occurring. Um, the remote workforce is definitely driving some of this. So we just have to be aware of that. Yeah, digital transformation has been, that was the buzzword going into 2020 already. And, you know, I think people were looking for five-year plans and instead they got you know, six month plans <laughs> uh, and, and, and really, really uh, hand jam that uh, down into their face. So uh, John and Ken, thank you so much. Uh, thank you on behalf of Rapid Ascent for having you guys come on and uh, share share this really great information with us. Uh, I'm going to send you guys to the green room so I can uh, talk about what we're going to be doing next on Simply Cyber with the audience, but really genuinely on behalf of the entire audience chat your, and, and myself, uh, thank you for being here today. All right, everybody. So I hope you really enjoyed the time that we just spent with John and Ken. As I mentioned, we do this every Thursday at 430. So if you like live streams, you like good times, you like cybersecurity, uh, this is definitely the place to be. Now, I want to tell you what's happening next on Simply Cyber, right? So we've got um, next next week, guys, is, is, is Thanksgiving. So I'm not live streaming on Thanksgiving because uh, let's be honest, like that's a terrible idea. But what we are going to be doing the following Tuesday, if you guys remember, if you've been a fan of the show for some time, you know this guy, Charles Finfrock. Charles is coming back on. Like, I'm not even going to set an agenda with Charles this time around. It's fireside chat. We're going to let chat drive the entire conversation. We're going to have a good time. I'm super pumped. And uh, we're going to be keeping it real with Charles Finfrock. So please join us uh, on the 2nd of December at 4.30 p.m. It'll be on all the socials and you can find it on Simply Cyber's YouTube channel. So with that, I will say thank you to everybody for your time. And until next time, stay secure. You've been listening to Simply Cyber with me, Dr. Gerald Dozier. I invite you to check out Simply Cyber YouTube channel for richer content, links, and live stream engagement. You can find hundreds of free cybersecurity training resources that I've curated at simplycyber.io. Talk to you next time.